Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most bizarre, the most mind-boggling, eye-popping, hair-raising episodes of homicide in Maryland are discussed, they are examined, and they are profiled. For this season, season seven, the focus is on uh, basically murder cases where the murderer or um, the killer, basically they pled not guilty by reason of insanity or they were found not mentally competent to stand trial because of a history of documented mental illness. And when I say mental illness, I don't mean that the killer or the murderer, they just... I don't mean that, um, you know, they just snap one day, you know, they were mad at their boss or they were mad at their girlfriend or they had like uh, pent up rage or something like that. Nope. For the most part, these killers were severely, severely mentally ill, mentally deranged. They had histories of well-documented mental illnesses and they had at least one stay at a uh, mental institution but they were somehow allowed to live and function in society when they showed clear signs that they probably should have been committed well a long time ago. Mostly all of the murderers for uh, this season, season seven, they have been sentenced indefinitely to uh, Clifton T. Perkins, which is the only real maximum security uh, mental institution that we have for the criminally insane in this state, meaning that their murders were so bizarre, so outlandish, so brutal, so pointless that they had to be committed indefinitely and not to like um, Patuxent or something like that just for treatment, but they had to be removed from society. And for this episode, I'm going to profile and discuss the senseless and pointless murder of 62-year-old Paul Shrum. And like in all of the other episodes that are in this podcast, a portion will also be dedicated to an unsolved homicide that needs special attention because basically not a lot, if anything, really is going on with the case. So, um... Last season, last season, because the focus was on, um, I profiled 10 unsolved homicides where the victims were female. It's only right that I pay the same amount of attention to the men. So for this season, all of the unsolved homicides that will be profiled, the victims will be male. And this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 22-year-old Mamadou Balio Ba. Now, this case, I, I now this this particular case, this didn't happen in Merlin. I, I'm a I'm gonna shift my focus a little bit, but I know y'all remember this one. If you're a true fan of true crime and you're really into uh, you know the weird crimes and stuff like that, um, in July 20th. 2012, in Aurora, Colorado, 24-year-old James Holmes 
he shot up a movie theater, hitting 70 people and killing 12 people during a viewing of the movie The Dark Knight Rises. Now, who don't remember this one? Dude came in a movie theater dressed in body armor and body tactical gear, like prepared to throw down. He set off two devices and started shooting people with an AR-15, a 12-gauge shotgun, and at least one of 240 caliber handguns. Just blasting people. Just blasting people. Doing in a movie theater. He was college educated. He came from a good solid family that was, um, his parents were educated. Um, but James suffered from delusions and fantasies where he constantly fantasized about killing people. James had been, he, he basically, he was able to buy the guns legally. He told his psychiatrist um, what he had planned to do. He marched right into the movie theater with his hair dyed orange. He looked like, I mean, I mean, on this particular day, they had other people that was at the movie theater dressed like, I guess, uh, characters that were in the movie or whatever. So he had his hair dyed orange and all this other stuff. So he looking weird. Um, he, I don't know, I guess that like the Joker, I don't know. But anyway, um, he marched right into that movie theater and with this orange hair, he became one of the biggest mass murderers in United States history. Of course, James pled not guilty by reason of insanity because he had all of the documented stays in the treatment facilities. He had the histories of mental illnesses. He had his parents testifying that, you know, they knew something was off with him. He had stopped taking his meds, blah, blah, blah. But Colorado did not give a fuck about none of that. They were like, you know what? I'm sorry. I am so sorry. It was just too many bodies. It was too well planned, too well orchestrated. They were basically, in so many words, like mentally ill or not, you know, it was too much for them for it to not make sense. Too well planned out. And so to basically to avoid the death penalty, which Colorado still has, James pled guilty and received life in prison, whether he was mentally ill or not. Now, I've never seen Batman, um, The Dark Knight Rises, the name of this movie or whatever. I've never seen any of the Batman movies. I mean, to be honest, do not take my black card. <laughs> I know, don't kill me. I've heard this is the one with Heath Ledger or the one that he was supposed to like be in or whatever. I don't know. I could be wrong, but somebody correct me. I know somebody's going to eventually correct me. But either way, I heard it was a good movie. This case, this particular murder, this happened in 2012. This wasn't in the state of Maryland, but being the murder researcher that I am, when I heard about this particular homicide that happened in Colorado, it made me immediately think about the case that we had in Maryland that was sort of similar to this one. No, we didn't have a mass murderer that shot up a movie theater, killed 11 people, in one like in one particular shootout whether it was a movie theater or not hell no we didn't have that because you know um trust me he would have been profiled in another episode or, or another season but the killer that we had here in maryland which made me think about um this particular case 
we he did kill a man in a movie theater for no reason at all no a better yet simply because he felt like it and it was something that he wanted to do like for a while now forgive me again I've never seen none of the X-Men movies I mean I'm quite sure they're good movies do not come from my neck I've never seen none of the X-Men movies not one I think Halle Berry was in was even in one of them which I like her but still I've, I've never seen none of the movies um and I think they have like 12 or 13 X-Men movies out now I'm, I'm quite sure somebody's gonna correct me anyway back when people used to actually go out and go to like the movie theater before they got their home own surround sound systems in their home and stuff like that and people tend to stay at homes nowadays but back when people used to go to movie theaters um which is something i used to do all the time it was kind of sort of like an event i mean i used to go to the movies alone because that's just something that i like to do i'm an introvert it, it used to be like a routine for me, especially if it was a movie that I really wanted to see like on premiere night or something like that, or even on a night where I knew I was going to see the movie um, uh, without any interruptions, without people screaming and yelling and all that other stuff. And back in the day, um, especially on Tuesday nights, um, certain movie theaters, when they had like a $2 movie theater plan at the $2 movie theater, used to be one in Westview. It used to be one in Rotunda, but um, for me, it used to be a time of basically just to relax. I mean, I like going to the movies by myself. I mean, whether you're there by yourself, you're chilling, you're relaxing, you got your popcorn or whatever. It's something that I didn't mind or I don't mind doing. I mean, don't hate me. I'm, I'm an introvert, <laughs> but imagine you go to the movie in peace, like something I used to do all the time. You decide to go to a late showing by yourself. Again, something I used to do all the time. You you want you want you go to the movie so you can watch a movie in peace. You're in a halfway decent neighborhood. You're chilling. You're relaxing. You don't have a care in the world. You're at peace. You have no idea, no idea at all that it's gonna be the last night of your life. Sixty-two year old Paul Shrum who was a medical supply salesman for University Pipette Services, and he lived in the 900 block of Bittersweet Road in Pikesville. He was a huge science hist science fiction fan, um, and he had already seen the first and second X-Men movies, and he was dying to see the third one, X-Men, The Last Stand. Paul who was also affectionately known as Terry to his friends and family, had decided to go to a late showing of the movie while his wife went to play Mong Jong with her friends. Paul went on a Thursday night to the Lowe's Valley Center 9 movie theater that used to be in Owens Mills behind the Walmart, which basically used to be a Walmart there, but the Walmart's gone. But back in... Um, this particular time, it used to be a Walmart there, and it was a movie theater. This was in the 9600 block of Ricestown Road. Paul was going to watch the movie alone in peace. It was literally only like five other people in a cinema that night, and Paul selected a seat in a row that was close to the back, minding his business. 
Meanwhile, 25-year-old, now I'm going to struggle with this name, or I'm going to try my best, but mean, meanwhile, 25-year-old Mutaba Rubani Jabbar was struggling mentally. The college-educated medical student grew up, in my opinion, in extreme wealth in a stable home with both parents living in a home. His life may have been financially stable, but mentally, Mutaba was living in another world. Born and raised in Texas, Mutaba's family owned and operated at least one gas station, and they had relocated to Maryland about a year and a half before they moved into a $1.5 million, 8,000 square foot home in the unit block of Evan Way in Owens Mills in the Anton North area of Baltimore County. Up there, y'all, trust me, it ain't nothing but money up that way. I mean, the whole area is just filled with gated million-dollar homes. You got the wealthiest in Maryland up in that area. Some kind of way, this dude ended up in there. Anyway, Mataba graduated from Mount Hebron High School, which is a good school in Columbia, um, which is in Howard County, before he moved on to Loyola College in 2005 where Mutaba majored in biology. Now, like I said, does this sound like poverty or does this sound like uh, mental illness or anything is being discriminatory because of your upbringing or how much money you have? I mean, he grew, this, everything sounds stable and actually over the top. But he decided that he wanted to be a doctor while he was majoring in biology. So uh, Mutaba enrolled in medical school in the Caribbean. The Caribbean now. Although Mutaba, he did help out his fellow classmates and students with writing term papers and technical reports on his website that he created. Most of the time, Mutaba struggled with thoughts of hurting and killing other people. His family couldn't understand it. Um, They tried to get him some help. But with these thoughts of violence and murder permeating his mind all the time, Mutaba refused. Um, Like a lot of people do who don't think that they are mentally ill. They think that they don't need help. They don't like the side effects of the medication. They refuse to believe that something is wrong. And one day while Mutaba was on a break from school, he was home with his family at their million dollar mansion Um, He was visiting with his family when those thoughts of killing somebody just got too overwhelming, too overpowering, and Mutaba could not drown out the voices that were in his head. So with the distinct thought and plan in his head that he was going to kill somebody that night, on Thursday, June 15, 2006, Mutaba marched into that same low cinema where Paul was chilling, minding his business, watching a movie. Mutaba marched into the cinema that was showing the same X-Men movie that Paul was seeing. The movie had been on about 30 minutes, and Mutaba chose a seat in a row that was behind Paul. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Mutaba pulls out a 357 Magnum from his pocket and shot Paul one to the right side of his head 
with everybody screaming and running for their lives. After they heard the shots, Mutaba then ordered everybody in the theater to get down on the floor as he walked up to Paul and shot him three more times in his head, his chest, and his arm. Ignoring all of the screams and yelling, after killing Paul, instantly, Mutaba calmly walked to the lobby of the cinema, told them, like, he put his gun on the counter, and told the manager that, basically, you know what, you should just call 911 because I just killed somebody. Then Mutaba calmly sat in a chair and waited for the police to show up. When the police showed up minutes later, with absolutely not a care in the world, Mutaba just told them that he had just killed a man in the movie theater and he basically was prepared for what happened. Confessing to police that he shot Paul because he was mad and just because of the way things are going in my life, which is what he said, Mutaba also told the police that he had bought the gun a year and a half earlier specifically for this reason and because he had been thinking about killing somebody for the past three months. Pronounced dead at the scene, Paul had two daughters and three grandchildren. According to articles for the Baltimore Sun, Paul's nephew released a statement to the press after the killing that said, this is a crushing blow to our family. We can't comprehend the loss. He was a loving father, an incredible husband, and a wonderful man. The 1962 graduate of Baltimore City College had been married to his wife for 39 years. And when Paul didn't come home that night, his wife drove to the movie theater at 1.30 in the morning looking for him. Instead of finding him, she saw Paul's Chevrolet Malibu that was still parked in the parking lot and she knew that something was wrong. When she walked up to a police officer and said, this is my husband's car, he went to the movies and never came home. And the officer said to her, you must be Mrs. Shrum. And she could just feel that something was completely and terribly wrong. Two days after Paul was shot was shot by Mutaba, a total and random stranger, Mutaba's sister released a statement to the press that said that their family had tried their best to get help for Mutaba, but he had constantly and aggressively refused any and all offers of any help or assistance. And doctors were like, you know, since he wasn't really a threat to himself or others at the time, that they could not really force him to get the help that he really needed. According to other articles in the Baltimore Sun paper, Mutaba's sister released a statement that said, he doesn't really understand what he did. I personally don't think he knows where he is and what's going on. He's very confused. Mutaba was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia and he was convicted of first-degree murder, but because he was found not criminally responsible of his mental illnesses, uh, Mutaba was sentenced indefinitely to a psychiatric facility. Now, before I even go any further, 
I'ma just have to mention this. Reading this article, reading the articles and doing the research about this, um, people kind of tried to make it a big deal and tried to make it, I won't say a racial thing, but a religious thing because Mutaba, the name, I mean, he was a Muslim and the victim, Paul, was Jewish. But it does not, it's clear, it's nowhere that uh, I believe that Mutaba knew that he was that the victim was Jewish so how would that be considered like a hate crime how would that uh, considered to be a personal attack I in my heart I strictly believe or simply believe that um, he was schizophrenic and he went to the movie theater like he said to basically shoot somebody can you imagine just being um, the victim where you're doing something as normal as watching a movie, minding your business, not saying anything to anybody, and that's the last day of your life. I, I feel I've, I've always, for this particular story, I've always felt sorry for the wife. I remember hearing about this, um, and like I said, I immediately, um, when the this happened before uh, the case that I referenced earlier with um, uh, the shooter shooting up the movie theater and injuring 12 people but I remember when that happened I said oh we had somebody that shot up a movie theater before he didn't kill you know 11 people or 12 people but um it still was one of these crimes where um it was notorious in in Maryland just because like I said people associated the race I mean the religious factor with the shooter and the victim you know um he was Muslim and the victim was uh, Jewish. They said that um, they, they, they try to spin that angle on it, but um, it really didn't fly. Um, it's this story also kind of stood out for me too because um, a lot of people in this day and age, it's crazy. They think that mental illness is is that like something that rich people don't get. You know, you can still have money and be bipolar. Look at Kanye. The Kanye West, you can still have um, come from a decent uh, family background and still be schizophrenia. You know, mental illness doesn't discriminate. Um, I feel for the people that have to live with people that are especially mentally ill, especially if you suffer from bipolarism or if you suffer with delusions because that has got to be something difficult to live with um parts of me believes in my heart that um a lot of people they kind of use that excuse of mentally ill loosely like I don't like a person that is uh have already been diagnosed with a, a mental illness and if you choose you willingly choose to not take your medication that's prescribed to you that is supposed to regulate your emotions and you go off the deep end and murder somebody, how can you go back and say that you, you know, use the mental illness as a defense? You know, I mean, I wonder if there's ever going to be some cases that are groundbreaking that would happen in the state of Maryland where even though a defendant uh, has a history of mental illness, would they still be held accountable for their actions if they willingly, willingly 
stop taking their prescribed medication, especially with the um, a history of what how they act, a history of their past behavior, of how they behave when they're not on medication. You know, that should be a question for attorneys. I mean, eventually, are we going to have a, a case where a person is still convicted, even though they're not men- not um, even though they have a history of mental illness? Like, because that's basically what happened in the state of Colorado. They were like, you know what? Mentally ill or not, uh-uh, prison, prison, <laughs> prison. You planned this. You came in here. You had enough sense to come in here, you know, armored and stuff like that. So they were like, no, mm-mm. I wonder if that's going to ever happen in the state of Maryland. <sighs> wow, I, I do feel sorry for the wife. 39, married for 39 years? Wow, and dying in a movie theater. mm Wow, this that this is why this case was so notorious in the state of Maryland, because of the notoriety and the randomness of it. And now it's time to move on into this week's unsolved homicide. And like I say in every single episode, although a lot of attention and focus is given to homicides in Maryland that were noteworthy and they may have received a lot of press. Um, a lot of attention. This podcast also shines a light on the many homicides that we have in this state that do not receive a lot of attention, if any attention at all, or press, or anything. These killings are so common in this state that they don't always make the news. They don't always make Murder, Inc. or something like that. Sometimes when the person gets killed in this state, you don't always hear about it on Fox 45 or you really don't hear like nothing about it. It's like they were here one minute and the victim were here, was here one minute, the next minute they was gone. And the number of homicides that are unsolved in this state is completely staggering. Homicide detectives, they obviously, they cannot do it all by themselves, especially when they're out, outnumbered and they're kept busy all of the time. And it's like, what really happens to those cases where nobody is talking or the detectives don't have like no evidence at all what happens to the cases where um because of the victim's past or the type of person that they were uh quote unquote the type of lifestyle that they live that it don't seem like the detectives are really not you know moving fast enough or nobody is talking or ain't nobody really trying to solve the case because the victim, quote-unquote, you know, had it coming. What what happened to those type of murder cases? Did it, is it really that the killer simply just got away with murder? Or what happened to the cases where uh, the killer is somebody has killed the killer? <laughs> There still needs to be closure to these type of cases. That really, it really does. I mean, people don't understand. That really needs to be closure to these type of cases too. It just seems like literally nothing is done with these forgotten homicides. Not because nobody cares anymore, but sometimes because the public, they simply just forgot all about it because we've been so immune to homicide in this state because every day it's like murder, 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 at least in Baltimore City, you know, which, you know, is what I've been exposed to. It's like we've become immune to homicide in this state that 
a lot of the homicides that occur, um, we're still trying to digest those that when a new one happened, we forgot all about the other ones. So this podcast, um, although I do talk a lot about cases where in a lot of them remember, and they're like, oh yeah, I did remember this case. And it received a lot of attention and notoriety on the flip side. A focus is also on homicides that did not receive the attention that they deserved. And with all that being said, this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 22-year-old Mamadou Balo Ba. Look, this man was not even from here. Do it sound like he was from here? He was only in United States to learn how to speak English. That was it. Mamadou was from Ghana. And his father, who owned a very successful import and export business, has sent his son over to the United States from his country to learn how to speak English. Mamadou had been in the United States for not quite two years when on the night of October 11th, 2019, he became the victim of a homicide. Mamadou worked as a food delivery driver and he had just come home from work when he was shot outside of his apartment in the outside of his apartment in the parking lot in the 1800 block of Merzerat Road in Adelphi, Maryland. Police officers from the Prince George's County officer office responded to the area at around 7:25 p.m. and Mamadou was pronounced dead at the scene. Mamadou had only lived at his apartment for just a few weeks because he had made plans to move to another unit, but instead, he was killed. Mamadou had planned out his entire life, and he wanted to go into business like his father and take over the family business. He was planning to get his associate's degree from Montgomery College. He was planning to learn English like his family was wanted him to, and he was, plan- he was planning to come back to his hometown of Ghana to run the business. Mamadou's murder completely devastated his family. And his father released a statement to the press that said, Balio was my hope. He was my everything. His father was going to send him to school in Morocco and Malaysia also to further his education even more. They big on schooling and big on education and Mamadou's brother also released a statement to the press that said my older brother was very wise intelligent young man who had the joy of living his life he loved his family very much despite the long distance he was always there for us and we will build ourselves to make him proud Come on, y'all. I mean, delivering pizzas, delivering food now, dangerous job. And when you're not from the United States and, you know, they pick up these type of jobs that are, you know, dealing with the public, um, cab drivers, stuff like that, that's dangerous. It's almost like they're easy target. And, <laughs> but... 
you know, for somebody who to be killed and for only basically who's not even from this country and to just to be working to try to further the education. Come on, y'all. Seriously, let's bring this one closure for the family. And I know this was in, you know, 20, what, 2019. But still, you know, let's bring closure to the family. And if you have any information at all, any information at all that can lead to an arrest or a conviction for this particular homicide, please call the Prince George's County Homicide Unit at 301-772-4925. You can also call Crime Solvers at 1-866-411-TIPS, that's T-I-P-S, which is 8477. You can also text the PG, um, the Prince George's County Police Department, um, plus your message to Crimes, which is C-R-I-M-E-S, or 274-637 on your cell phone. You can also go to www.pgpolice.org to submit any types of tips online. I'm going to say all that again, just so you didn't, just so y'all can make sure you got all the information because that was a lot for Prince George's County. PG County is a big county. They got a whole bunch of little towns in it. You know, I don't know why they haven't split it up yet, but either way, PG County is very big. So, the homicide unit for PG County is 301-772-4925. You can call crimes, um, crime solvers, I'm sorry, at 1-866-411-TIPS, which is also 8477. You can also text the PG uh, County Police Department, plus whatever message you want to sub, um, submit to crimes, which is C-R-I-M-E-S or 274-637. You can do that on your cell phone. Or if you want to go online and submit a tip, you can go to www.pgpolice.org. You can remain anonymous, people. And for this particular homicide, there is a cash reward of up to $25,000. $25,000, y'all. Somebody has to know something. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping, unbelievable episodes. For paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the uncensored version of why I do what I do how and why I got into true crime, the true crime books, and why I decided to start a true crime podcast. Um, a lot of people think that, like I said, I just woke up one day and just out of the blue, just had a dream and was just like, you know what, I'm going to start a true crime podcast. But nope, that is not even true. There is a real therapeutic message to all of this blood and crime and gore and madness <laughs> i promise you just click on the past episode entitled why i do what i do and you'll understand more about why i'm so into true crime i also want to let my listeners know that for season one which was the uh child murder season 
six of those episodes have been selected for film production meaning production has officially begun on the video or documentary documentary production version of those episodes i think we have a release uh date of sometime in july um there is uh, a teaser or a promo video that's available i will try to put that on um the website um and because the very first documentary produced by savage life productions will be based off of the very first episode that was featured on this podcast so tune in if you don't know what the very first episode was then maybe you should go to the website and check out the first episode which i can admit that was a little that was my very first episode so <laughs> it was a little rusty but tune in because the video version to that will be coming to you soon later this year and guess what that's not rusty so while you're at it check out the new website um maryland's most notorious murders.com and maryland is spelled mds most notorious murders.com where you can access all the episodes one through seven um I mean, one, yeah, any, all the, any and all of the episodes, one through seven, you can also find links to all of the books that are related to this podcast entitled uh, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1. Um, you can also find links to my local bestsellers, Junkie H.P. Baltimore Story, Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, and Child of Baltimore. If for some or whatever reason the links don't work on the website, all of these books are also available on Amazon. If you can't get on Amazon and Amazon ain't acting right and the price ain't right, you can send me a private message through uh, my website and I'll hook you up. You can also um, check me out on the latest ep- latest season of Payback, which airs on TV One. You can also check me out on the Oxygen Network for Black Widow Murders where I profiled um, Maryland's female serial killer, Josephine Gray. And if you really feel like doing some digging, you can catch me on TV's One's Justice By Any Means, TV One's Fatal Attraction, where I profiled the North Carolina killer, Peter Moses. Or you can find me hosting Killer Kids for the LMN Network. I think that name of that episode was uh, Full Metal Jacket, where I profiled uh, the teen killers, Sarah Citroni and Jason DeLong. Um, once the season one documentary videos are available, you will also be able to find the links to the videos here at Maryland's most notorious murders.com. Be sure to tune in next week where another gruesome, another high profile, another noteworthy homicide occurring in the state of Maryland. It will be profiled. It will be discussed. And it will be examined on Maryland's most notorious murders. And this has been a Savage Life production.